So good to be with all of you this morning as we open up the Word of God. I'll ask you to continue your worship now. Open up to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 32, through the end of the chapter. So if you'd please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Actually, we're going to read from 26. Excuse me, yes, 28. Romans 1, verses 28 through 32. This is God's word. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, of, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. (coughs) Well, again, if you're visiting here this morning, we want to welcome you. You've actually caught us, as has been said, in the last of a three-part series, which began a couple weeks ago, uh, where we asked the question, What in the world are we doing in Romans chapter 1? And while this question was somewhat unique to our congregation, as we were technically supposed to go back to our study in Acts that morning, we actually posed the question to all believers living in the world today, and more specifically, to every believer, man, woman, or child, living in this particular nation at this particular time. What are we doing? doing in Romans chapter 1, because make no mistake about it, my friends, we're in it. As we said a couple weeks ago, we are right now living in a nation not bordering on being under the judgment of God, not coming dangerously close to being under the judgment of God unless we turn things around, but we are right now living in a nation that is, in fact, under the judgment of God at this very moment. We've looked together at this extremely important section of Paul's epistle to the Romans, a section which, again, contains some of the most foundational and fundamental truths about life, both life in this world as well as in the life to come. A couple of weeks ago, we looked in some detail at the power of God on full display in the gospel, verses 16 and 17. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, also to the Greek. As the righteousness God demands from us is freely given to us, to all who trust in him, all who receive his free gift of salvation and reconciliation, which came through the atoning or wrath-satisfying work of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. Last week, we looked at verses 18 through 28, which told of the wrath of God, Specifically, the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. We read 
together of our creators, turning over a society, and indeed the entire unbelieving world to the power or authority of another, literally abandoning them to the power of another. In this case, he abandoned them to the inward desires of their totally corrupted and totally depraved hearts. God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. He turned them over to impurity, sensuality. He, he abandoned them to the dishonorable, detestable, humiliating passions of homosexual relationships, which go against the very order of nature itself. And for what? Why did he do that? Because they did not honor him as God. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Because they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. In other words, for idolatry. Because they knew God, but they didn't esteem him as such. So he gave them over to the power and control of that which they had elevated and exalted to the place of greatest importance. He, he, he gave them over to the evil lusts of their foolish and darkened hearts and In our text for this morning, we'll see that darkness only deepens. Look with me at verse 28, point one in your outline, where Paul continues his explanation of the regressing or continued falling away of humanity as they stray further and further away from the one true God. He says, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So again, the first thing we notice here is the reason for God giving them up or giving, giving them over to another power or authority. They did not see fit to acknowledge God. Remember now, they knew God. They knew God. God has clearly revealed himself in his creation, this Creation which screams, there's a creator, and you are not him. And you are not him. They knew him, but they were ungrateful for his common graces and mercies. And even worse than being ungrateful, they flat out rejected him. They rejected him. When Paul says they did not see fit, this has an element of testing the value of an event or object. In Paul's day, uh, they would use this uh, for things such as coins. They would, they would test the metals of the coins, typically by fire. These blank coins that were approved for trade were then stamped and put into circulation. The coins that failed the test were rejected. They were discarded. In this case, Paul says, they did not see fit to acknowledge or approve God. Even though the heavens declared the handiwork of an infinitely glorious and omnipotent creator, even though it was right in their faces all day, every day, they cast him aside as nothing more than a worthless coin. Instead, they bow down to the work of their foolish hands. But they didn't acknowledge the one true God. Therefore, Paul says, God gave them up. He gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 
this phrase debased mind or depraved mind or reprobate mind actually means that it is disapproved. It has a similar meaning as, as the background in the phrase before. One commentator said, because they reprobated the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. They discarded him, so he discards them. Another said he gave them to a mind disapproved of God since they did not approve knowing God. And the clearest definition I've heard of a a reprobate mind is from John MacArthur in a sermon preached nearly 20 years ago when he said this, quote, first the heart is rotten, then the body follows, then the mind goes. What is a depraved mind? Well, the word literally means tested and found useless, disqualified for its intended purpose, a non-functioning mind. Reasoning is so corrupted that it is crippled. The faculty, the intellectual faculty, can no longer function. The moral law of God written in the heart has literally been stomped and replaced with cultural immorality. The conscience cannot function. Is this not a perfect descriptor of America in 2021? The conscience cannot function. And again, God, not passively, but actively, turns a people over. Individuals, communities, nations, cultures, society, the whole unbelieving world over to the lusts of their hearts and to disqualified minds. To minds so tainted by sin that they no longer have the ability to make sound judgment. It has been said At this stage, man has lost the desire and ability to think clearly. He has lost his mind and doesn't even know it. And part of this process, again, is not only that unbelievers are impacted by this individually, but God also gives them over to the temporal authority of others who are in this same condition. Now, society itself is being governed by and ruled over in the temporal, earthly sense by other people who have lost their minds. By other people who no longer have the ability to make sound judgment. These will now be our state and local officials, our our judges, our governors, our presidents. The, The rationally disqualified will now rule over us. I say it again, this is a perfect descriptor of America in 2021. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. We've got a lot to get to. I want to spend a lot of time on application today. We've kind of pushed that off. But this reality of a debased mind, this reprobate, disapproved, disqualified mind is perhaps nowhere more evident than on the Internet, particularly social media. I don't have social media personally, but sometimes I check the trending sections. I typically can't take it for more than a few, few minutes at a time because it's so aggravating. But anyway, a few weeks ago, I saw this social media influencer insert eye roll here. <laughs> and she gave me the perfect illustration of a debased mind. You ready to hear this? Now pay attention now. She's only 16 or 17, but she could very well be our next governor. So just listen. Hey guys, let's talk gender, specifically Libra genders, 
Firstly, know the difference between a static or stable gender, one that doesn't change, and a fluid gender, one that does change. Now, Libra genders. Libra gender people feel mostly agender with a slight connection to another gender. Firstly, we have Libra feminine. Libra feminine people feel mostly agender and slightly feminine. Some describe it as feeling a strong connection to agender as well as a lesser connection to femininity. Libra masculine is the opposite, where they feel mostly agender and slightly masculine. Some describe it as having a strong connection to being genderless as well as a lesser connection to being masculine. Lastly, we have Libra fluid. Libra fluid people feel mostly agender with a slight connection to another gender that fluctuates throughout other genders. She says, stay with me here. (laughs) She lost me at, hey guys, let's let's talk gender. (laughs) They feel a strong connection to being agender while another part of their gender feels fluid. One part will always feel agender, the other part will fluctuate between masculine to feminine. Hope that helped, she says. My brothers and sisters, these are the ramblings of a disqualified mind. Of a mind void of any rational, logical, coherent, certainly godly thinking, And honestly, my heart breaks for this young woman. I mean, I think she's a young woman. I'll I'll probably get rebuked for referring to her as such, but my heart breaks for this girl. She has become futile in her thinking. Her, Her foolish heart is darkened, and she's bought into the lie of this evil and satanic world system that says God is not God. Gender is God. Therefore, she has been delivered over to a reprobate mind. Could very well be any of our daughters, our nieces, our cousins, sisters. It's heartbreaking. And remember, like sexual perversion, which the so-called transgender movement is a part of, and like rampant sexual inversion... Uh, the homosexuality described here in Romans 1, like these things, this being handed over to a debased mind is a form of the judgment of God on an idolatrous people. It's a judgment. Paul then goes on in verse 29. He gives an expansive list of the symptoms of the greater illness as he says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Last week it was ungodliness. This morning, it's unrighteousness. This is our condition before we are cleansed and purified by the precious blood of Christ. This is our condition before we have his foreign and alien righteousness, the righteousness of Christ reckoned to or imputed to our account. Remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, such were some of you. And and we're not going to spend much time here, but notice first he says, They were filled with evil. Filled with evil. Evil has consumed them. They are are stuffed to the brim. They're full to the top with evil. What a comment from Paul here solidifying the doctrine of total depravity. Uh, They were filled with unrighteousness. 
filled with wickedness. They were filled with evil. There's no room for that which is considered good or godly. They're filled. When the sovereign Lord, the standard and measure for all righteousness, is the source of all righteousness, looks down upon this unbelieving world, he sees men and women who are filled with evil. This is reminiscent of uh, Genesis chapter 6. You remember when we went through that? Just very briefly. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So what did he do? He sent a flood. He killed everybody. Everybody except one man and his family. You get to Genesis chapter 9. The floods subside. Noah and his family, they get out of the ark. What changes? I mean, besides rush hour traffic. But what changes in the natural human heart of man? Answer, nothing. The only thing that changed between chapter 6 and chapter 9 all the way up to today is that God established a covenant that he shall never again, uh, never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there, there be a flood to destroy the earth. But the wickedness of man would go on to be great on the earth. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart would be continually evil. This is what Paul is saying. They are filled with all manner of wickedness, filled with evil. He also says they are filled with covetousness. This literally means a yearning to have more and more and more. The Greeks called it the accursed love of having Folks literally consumed with a desire for more wealth, more stuff, more sex, more power, you name it. Paul says they were filled with malice, a deliberate wickedness that takes pleasure in doing harm, a lust for evil and corruption to be outwardly manifested on others. Paul says that's not it. They were also full of envy. Notice now, this comes before murder. That's because envy at this level typically leads to murder as people will do anything, anything to obtain the passions of their wicked hearts, including lying, scheming, manipulating, maiming others, disabling them, killing. They're full of envy. They're also full of strife, verse 29 says, or contention. They're full of deceit. This word literally means a fish hook or a trap. They concoct new forms of deception in order to manipulate or take advantage of people for their own gain. And they have no problem lying. They're liars. No problem. Paul would even go on to quote in chapter 3, the, the fifth psalm. He says, their throat is an open grave. And we know that what proceeds from the heart, that means... It, you're full of dead men's bones. There's rotting corpses within your heart. It's dead, it's decaying, it's dying. And their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. They're full of maliciousness. They have an ill-natured and ill-willed inward desire to see other people suffer. They're gossips. They have evil wagging tongues which speak in whispers with the intention of cutting another down. And the difference between this and the next descriptor of the slanderer is while both of them have the same aim to destroy and demean the character of another, 
One shouts their defamations from the housetop while the other hides in the shadows. They're gossips. Now you say, uh, this one hits a bit close to home here. Let's just be honest, the church is really full of backbiters and gossips. And our Lord explicitly condemns such practice in multiple, multiple places, both Old and New Testament. Therefore, we should repent, stop doing it, if we feel convicted at this moment. But No, the, the folks that Paul is describing here, those with uh, the debased, depraved minds, are filled with gossip. They're, they're filled with slander. This makes up their character. This is what defines them. They're consumed with it. Now, I want you to stop and ask yourself a question for a moment. How does our current society measure, measure up thus far? How are we doing with these qualifications for the debased minds? Again, we are not bordering dangerously close to being under the judgment of God. We're in it. We are under his judgment now. These are the driving forces of this current culture. These are the very character traits of the current state of this nation. Why? Verse 30. They are haters of God. Full of hatred for God. Think about it. This nation, perhaps more than any other, has had the glory of the Lord revealed in both natural relation, the the creation of the world, and special revelation, the scriptures. We've had it more than anybody. It's been all around us for decades, for centuries. There's a church on most corners of the cities and the towns of this nation, and while they may not preach what's in the Bible, most of them have a Bible or two in the building, I mean, I can go to Walmart, Walmart down the street right now and buy a King James Version of the Bible for five bucks. You can't do that in most countries in this, in this world. Bible colleges abound. Seminaries are all over the place. His truth is everywhere. And yet, though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They're saying, we will not have him be king over us. Paul goes on. He says, they're insolent. They're rude. They're no respect for authority. No, no respect for the older generation. BLM, Antifa. They have no respect. They're haughty, boastful, prideful. All around the world, this is, this is how we are perceived in this country, by the way. Arrogance. It's so prevalent in this evil age. And, and, and they're literally filled with it. The wicked are filled with it. Always and continually. He goes on. They are inventors of evil. And boy, have we seen this ramp up over the past 20 years with the invention of the internet. How many women, how many uh, children suffer as the continually evil and depraved concoct new forms of abuse and exploitation of the most vulnerable among us? Things that goes on in the on the internet. They're repulsive. Pure evil. Not a speck of good within such people. They're inventors of evil. They're not even satisfied with the current level of degradation. They have to ratchet up the wickedness more and more and more. Disobedient to parents. This seems a bit out of place, but 
In reality, it's a clear indicator of a nation full of men and women who reject the will of God. One writer said both Jews and Hebrews, <coughs> excuse me, both Jews and Romans set obedience to parents very high in the scale of virtues. And the reason for including this sin here is that once the bonds of the family are loosened, wholesale degeneracy must necessarily follow. Paul says they are foolish. They are without understanding. They're faithless. They don't keep their word. They're covenant breakers. They're heartless, which means without natural affection. Specifically referring to folks who don't even have love for those in their own family. They are hard-hearted toward kindred. Think of those in the Muslim world where uh, honor killings and spousal and child oppression and abuse are permitted and encouraged in the name of the false gods Allah and Muhammad. And people, entire people has been given over to a debased mind to the point they don't even love their own families. And we're perhaps given no greater example of this than the mother and the father who willingly murder their very own children in the name of convenient sex or economic difficulties. They're heartless and ruthless, lacking mercy. I want to show you a headline that I saw earlier this summer. (coughs) I sent it to myself then as an example for this 30th verse. Abortion facility in Ohio tossed pre-born babies remains into dumpster in violation of state law report. Now, do you see the phraseology here? Do you see the phraseology? The, the, the issue is that they violated state law, but not for reasons that you may think at first. Not that they killed and dismembered a baby boy or a baby girl inside their mother's womb. Not that they are an abortion mill whose very business it is to kill baby boys and baby girls, but that they didn't dispose of the baby's body in accordance with local and state regulations. This is repulsive and these people are full of evil full of wickedness the headline should read abortion facility in ohio tossed preborn babies remains into dumpster in violation of the holy god whose image the child bore the writer even said the source of our outrage in this case should not be that the clinic is in violation of the fetal remains law but that they are killing babies in the first place What are we doing? My friends, do not love this world. This world is not worth loving. My friends, do not love this country. This country is not worth loving. And it will one day burn because of its apostasy and rejection of God's righteousness. But for now, as a society, we have been handed over to impurity, to, to dishonorable passion, to debased minds, and, and it's all because we are Americans who have had the most revelation of God outside of any century other than this first century, and yet we have rejected God. 
We live in a society that has discarded its creator and deemed him unworthy of either their gratitude or their worship. Let's just be honest. I know this is hard to hear. That's the truth. And the chapter ends with Paul saying, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such evil things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is perhaps most troubling of them all, still unsatisfied with the depravities manifested from their own wicked hearts. People now find their pleasure in seeing others carrying out their wickedness and not only encourage them, not only celebrate them, not only campaign on their depravity, but give wholehearted approval and and endorsement of their sinning against their creator. Maybe this is the, the best example of this is Judas Iscariot. Remember, those guys were convincing him to turn over Jesus. They even paid him to deliver up the very author of life himself. They know these things are worthy of death. Like I said, I know it's not pleasant to hear, but listen to what's at stake here. These things are worthy of death. They know that God is the standard for righteousness. They even know severe punishment is coming, even eternal punishment, but they just don't care. They don't care. Why? Because God gave them up to a debased mind. God gave them up. They rejected him, so he rejects them. And here we all are right in the thick of it. So I'll ask again, what are we doing in Romans chapter 1? And by we, I mean believers. Believers in the gospel that is so clearly defined in verses 16 and 17 of this chapter, what are we doing now As American citizens, as citizens, though aliens in this world, which our Lord said is under the power of the wicked one. As has been rightly asked, how then shall we live? How then shall we live? We're here. We're we're in an environment under the judgment of God. We can see it so obviously being played out before our very eyes. So now what? In light of these truths, what do we do next? How do we live? Well, I want to share with you seven principles. Seven principles or guidelines for the believer living in this evil world system and specifically in this nation which is so clearly under the judgment of God. Number one, recognize the authority of the scriptures and saturate yourself in them. Last week we talked about both general and special revelation and we referenced it again today. Generally speaking, through nature, uh, through the creation, God has revealed himself. And likewise, his special revelation, which comes through the scriptures and personal interactions with God throughout history. We can know that God reveals his righteousness from heaven in the gospel of his son, and we can know that it is to be received by faith alone. Just like we can know that God reveals his wrath from heaven for those who have rejected this free gift of righteousness. And the only way we know this is because the Bible tells us so. Listen, if, if, if your authority or assurances regarding the character and plans of your creator are not based 
on who he has revealed himself to be in his inerrant, infallible, inspired, all-sufficient scriptures, then I have nothing for you. I have nothing for you. My opinion means nothing. The last thing anyone needs is another opinion or viewpoint or commentary on some arbitrary temporal situation in this fleeting society. We're full of opinions. But what we speak of is not based on human authority. That which is based on human authority will always be corrupt and it will always fail. This, this, my brothers and sisters, is not just another means of human speculation or, or human opinion or expression. This is the truth. This is the truth. Psalm 119 says, The sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous rules endure forever. He's talking about the scriptures. Jesus himself, speaking to the disciples, prayed to the Father. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. All the Father commanded Jesus to communicate to us is right here in his scriptures. And like fools, we neglect it for the transitory things of this world. Don't neglect it. I heard an old-time preacher once exhorting his congregation to saturate themselves in the text. Like, let it soak into every pore of your being like a sponge. Spurgeon said this of John Bunyan. He said, why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere, he bleeds bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him in the same way we ought to be men and women of the scriptures. In a world full of lies, saturate yourself in truth. Memorize the word, study the word Meditate on the word. Be good Bereans. Encourage one another in the word of God. This is the truth. This is your creator speaking to you. And to me and to us as a church. And a scriptureless church is just another cult. Among cults where men just get up and give their opinion as it suits them. Recognize the authority of the scriptures and saturate yourself in them. Number two. Take idolatry as seriously as God takes idolatry. Okay, the bulk of this first chapter has to do with God's judgment on a people's idolatry. And for the next 15 chapters, he's going to go on to tell us how God has provided salvation from this judgment. Certainly eternally speaking. But again, we have to remember the judgment of God is not being poured out on us because of, because of our rampant immorality and, and homosexuality. The, the wrath of God is not being revealed from heaven against all ungodly men and women because of the LGBTQ movement. The judgment is the LGBTQ movement. The wrath revealed from heaven is his abandoning us to perversions, inversions, uh, the dishonorable passions of our wicked hearts. And it, it comes as a result of a collective people first abandoning God rejecting God, not acknowledging him as God, but instead thumbing their noses at him. 
sticking their thumbs under their arms and strutting around like they rule the roost. It comes from exchanging the truth about God for a lie. Or better yet, remember the lie. Remember that? What lie it is? Idolatry. Saying God is not God, but exalting something or someone who is not God to the place in our hearts where only the true God deserves to reside, that's the lie. And not just in the form of little statues or paintings, but anything that takes the place of preeminence in our hearts over and above God. This is idolatry. But that's not all. Uh, Maybe even a more heinous form of idolatry is holding to the teaching of some of the truths of the word of God revealed in the scriptures, the truths that we like, the truths that please us while distorting and twisting the other not-so-pleasant sections of Scripture, making them say what they don't actually say so that we can either A, find favor with this world, or B, more commonly, fashion the God of the Bible into a God of our own making so that we don't have to deal with some of the hard truths he has revealed to us about himself, like his wrath and judgment. I've gotten some heat over these past couple of sermons from people. Even from some of those people in my own family, my extended family. They said, I believe in Jesus, but not that Jesus. I believe in a God, but not a punitive God. I don't believe in a God who punishes people for their sin. I don't believe in a God who is against the LGBTQ community. And my reply was, well, I say this lovingly, but Frankly, you believe in a God who doesn't exist. You see, people, even within our churches, have a wonderful way of displaying their idolatrous inclinations by trying to make God into something that he's not. They soften certain sections or skip over them altogether because they don't want to offend anyone. They don't want to insult anyone. But my brothers and sisters, all they're doing is propagating the lies which are derived from the corrupted and cursed hearts, the the wicked human heart. They're they're bearing false witness about their creator, false testimony about God, and they're leading people astray. This is why Jesus repeatedly condemned the uh, Pharisees, because they weren't representing God. They were representing their version of God, and they were oppressing people and manipulating them. And he called them out for it, right? Woe to you, hypocrites! Their religion, their distorted view of God became more important to them than the God they claimed to worship. That's idolatry. And we should take it seriously. We should take it as seriously as God takes it seriously. He takes it so seriously that his righteous wrath is revealed from heaven. That's how seriously he takes it. Number three, remember who you will be standing before in judgment. Now, this one ties directly to number two. What in the world is the point of distorting and twisting the divinely inspired revelation of God to appease other men and women? How short-sighted can a person be? The second you die, you're not going to be standing before other men and women. Paul says, speaking of believers, whether whether we're at home or away, We make it our aim to please him. Why? For we we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ 
so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, I have to clarify that word for evil there is not a reference to moral evil. All of the believers' sins, past, present, and future, have been done away with. The penalty for them has been paid for at the cross. The word evil there means useless, not uh, profitable from an eternal standpoint. But, but the point remains, we will all stand before Christ to give an account. Before God the Son, everyone will. Unbelievers whose sins are not paid for at the cross will also have to stand before God to give an account, though they will, they will stand before Christ as well. But this will be at the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20, where they will be judged according to their immoral character, conduct, and behavior. All this to say, you will not stand before other humans on judgment day. You will not stand before some pastor on judgment day. You will not stand before the elders or the church, and I won't stand before you. I won't stand before my family members. In the same way, we won't stand before those in the media. We won't stand before those on social media. We won't stand before the CDC or the governor or the president or the UN General Assembly to give an account. We won't stand before the Supreme Court of the United States or other earthly judges and councils. We will stand before the one who gave us our lives. The one who knows every intricate and intimate detail of our hearts, our thought lives, our deeds, our our actions. That's who we will stand before. So remember, believer, always make it your aim to please him, not other men. Number four, if you're truly saved, if you're truly born again, rest in, take comfort in, take peace, trust that you have been given both a new mind and a new spirit. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In fact, go ahead and turn there. Turn to your Bibles. It's just a few books over here. We'll be just a skosh late, but that's okay. 1 Corinthians 2. It's worth seeing it in your own text there. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Quoting Isaiah 40, Paul says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, speaking of believers, have the mind of Christ. He's saying, in the gospel, we've not only had the righteousness of Christ imputed to our account, we're not only now able to stand before a holy God in the righteousness of Christ, but we've also been given the mind of Christ, the ability to understand his will, to understand his word, to to understand the special revelation in the scriptures, and therefore we have an understanding and insight as much as possible into the thoughts of God himself. Do you understand how incredible this is? And again, this is only accomplished when we have his spirit dwelling on the inside of us. If you look up just a few verses, you'll see the very basis and grounds for including this fourth point, and it it really couldn't be more relevant to a believer living in a nation under God's judgment. Look up 
to verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love them, who love him. Isn't that beautiful? We can't even imagine. These things God has revealed to us through Scripture. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Excuse me. Revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We're literally doing this very thing right now. We have His Spirit dwelling on the inside of us, and He's revealing to us the truths about Himself. This is incredible. And then look in verse 14. He actually makes reference to the folks he's been talking about here in Romans chapter 1. He says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He's not able. Why? God has given them up to a debased mind. Disqualified. If you are in Christ this morning, Know that you have been given a new mind and a new spirit that is not of this world, but from your creator himself. Praise the Lord. Amen? Rest in that reality. Rest in that truth. Number five, count the cost and never, ever compromise. It's been said that convictions are what control your life, and the fewer convictions you have, the more vulnerable you are. Many people have strong convictions. They have firmly held beliefs, opinions, and many would even be able to be willing to die to defend them. But but let's be wise here and ask ourselves what is truly worthy of our being persecuted or giving our lives for. As believers here at Lakewood Bible Chapel, we don't want to give our lives away from any old temporal cause or conviction. We want to give our lives for the right convictions. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, not their political affiliation, not their favorite sports teams, but for righteousness' sake. For the truths we've been talking about this morning, uh, the truths of Jesus Christ, for the truths of the gospel, the the truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The truths of the sanctity of the Lord's Supper. The, the truths of the righteousness of God being imputed to us through the penal substitutionary atonement of his very own son. Jesus ur- urged his disciples, count the cost. Count the cost of discipleship, of following him. Eh? Following him could have very well, and did, lead to their imprisonment, to torture, even death but it would be worth it. It would be way worth it. Because the moment they got killed, the moment their head got 
lopped off or whatever happened, in the twinkling of an eye, they would then stand before their creator who no longer looks at them as this wretched, vile sinner disqualified from rational thinking, but looks at them as he looks at his very own son. Because they have the righteousness of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, stand firm in the faith, though things may get very, very difficult for you in the coming years. May your hope be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Stand on the solid rock of Christ. All other ground is sinking sand. Count the cost. Count the cost. Never, ever compromise or concede on your conviction as they pertain to your creator in his word. Not even a little bit. Sixth principle for a believer living in this evil world system, do not separate yourselves from the flock. I know there's temptation, especially with all this technology. I know it's real nice to watch a sermon in your pajamas. But that's not the way God planned it. First of all, a sermon is not church. A sermon is a sermon. And as important as it is, it's only a part of the, the fellowship and the worship that goes on in this place. He said, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together because it's in the gathering together that we're able to experience true God-honoring, Christ-exalting fellowship and worship. Through the reading of his word, through the, the Lord's Supper, through the symbols of his sacrifice on the table, through the singing of theologically rich and doctrinally sound hymns and songs and yes to hearing an exhortation from his word the apostles teaching the fellowship the breaking of the bread the prayers is not meant for individuals we are a body we're all functioning together under the control of and for the glory of the head who is christ the the hand my hand can't function apart from the rest of my body in the same way a believer can't function as he or she ought, apart from the rest of us. That's Paul's words. Plus, the wolves of this world, they typically go after those who are separated from the flock because they are weak. They're vulnerable. They're not being fed. They're susceptible to attack. So don't separate yourselves from the flock. Finally, a seventh principle for the believer living out the rest of their short lives in this world that is dying is to go. Go. Take what you've learned, take the spiritual things revealed to you through the word and go. Jesus said it. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Salt acts as a preserving agent. So here we are in this world, part of the process of slowing down the decay of this corrupted earth. He said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, once you know the truth, It's really fascinating to watch things play out, isn't it? It's fascinating. It's tragic. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's fascinating. 
It's fascinating to see these things going exactly how God said they would go, right down to the very word. It's almost like he declared the end from the beginning. Well, he said he did. Remember this and stand firm. Call it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. That means we have no reason to fear or be worried in this life because he will accomplish his purpose. And uh, believer, if you hear my words this morning, he will even use you in the process and therefore you can have confidence, the most confidence, when you go into the world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. So go and tell your unbelieving family members. Go and tell your unbelieving neighbors. Go and, go and tell the confused Libra-gendered girl. Go and, and tell those who have had an abortion. Go and tell the abortionists. Go tell the homosexual and the fornicator and the liar and the drunkard. Go and tell them that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. Like them. And like you. Like me. Go and tell them there is true forgiveness. True restoration, true contentment, true satisfaction. Go and tell them there is true hope for them through a brand new life in Christ if they would but repent. Turn from their sins, turn from their idolatry and turn to the living God through the gospel of his son. The gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to all who would believe. First the Jew, then the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen? All right, pray with me now, and we'll have Noel and the others come up and close us in song. We hope that you have been ministered to through this week's exposition of God's Word. If you would like more information about our church and services, please visit our website or email us at info, that's I-N-F-O, at lakewoodbiblechapel.org. Again, that's info, I-N-F-O, at lakewoodbiblechapel.org. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Lakewood Bible Chapel.